We are glad that you are here. If you are visiting with us, we are thankful for your presence. We will meet again tonight at 6 o'clock, and we certainly hope that you will rejoin us at that time. If I were to mention to you this morning the names of Ed and Lorraine Warren, there is a good chance that you would not recognize them. But if I were to name some of their works, you would no doubt be familiar with it. Ed was a noted demonologist. Lorraine is a professed clairvoyant and a, quote, light trance medium. They are a real couple, and they supposedly investigated over 10,000 hauntings. They have been associated with a number of prominent cases of hauntings to include the Amityville Horror that was made into a movie, and a few years ago, there was a movie that was released about their lives based on a true story, and it was called The Conjuring. Again, supposedly a true story. I think they released The Conjuring 2 more recently. Now, I've never seen either one of these movies, but the first one is based on an event that supposedly takes place in 1971 in Harrisville, Rhode Island. It involves a family by the last name of Perrin. And the movie begins with the Perrin family moving into a farmhouse and a lot of strange things start to happen. And immediately when they get ready to go into the house, the dog doesn't want to go in. And it's a, a cue that something is wrong. Well, finally, what ends up happening is there is a demonic entity that has attached itself to the Perrin family. And so they call this famous couple, these demonologists, the Warrens, they're brought in to help and ultimately, they exorcise this evil spirit. Well, what about this? Again, it's supposedly based on a true story. This couple, the Warrens, they were real people. In fact, uh, they died not long ago. She died, I think, in 2019. And they supposedly dealt with, quote, documented cases of demons. I want to talk about this subject today, about demons and demon possessions, and see what the Bible has to say about this, and why the Bible talks about this. Now, let me say at the onset of this lesson, I certainly don't know everything there is to know about demons, and as we go through this lesson, we're going to create some questions and not just answers. And that's okay, because God is as wise in His reservations as He is in His revelations. God knows what to hold back. He knows what kinds of things I don't need to know, and that wouldn't be good for me to know. And the Bible is just as it should be, even with reference to this subject that we're going to discuss this morning, even with reference to the demons. There are about 92 times or so that you will find the word devil in the Bible as it refers to the subject at hand. In the King James Version, sometimes in the Old Testament, you will find the word devil, but it actually is referring to idols. With reference to the topic that we're talking about this morning, this word appears 92 times. Twelve of those times it's referring to the devil himself, and the New King James uses the term devil. The New King James, or the Old King James uses the term devil. The New King James uses the term demons. All right, what we're going to do this morning is two things. We're going to read some passages in the New Testament that discuss demons, and then we're going to make ten observations about the demons 
from the Bible. I'm not going to spend much time on each because I don't know a lot about each of these points. I'm going to begin this morning in Luke chapter 8 and verse number 26. Luke 8 and verse 26. The Bible says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he, Jesus, stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had had demons for a long time. And he wore no, no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but he lived in the tombs. When Jesus saw him, he cried out and he fell down before Jesus. And with a loud voice, he said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unspirit to come out of the, the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for he had often seized him. And he was kept under guard, and he was bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds, and he was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered into him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. Now, a herd of swine was feeding there on a mountain, and so they begged him that he would permit them to enter into them, and he permitted them. And then the demons went out of the man, and they entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Here is point number one in this lesson. What is a demon? Who or what were these demons that were possessing people and inhabiting human bodies? When I started studying this, what I found is there are a lot of different theories as to what a demon was in the Bible. In my opinion, there are only two that have any amount of credibility, two that are reasonable. The first one is that demons may have been the spirits of dead people, the soul of a dead, wicked human being, a person who had died, his spirit went into the Hadean realm, and God allowed this spirit to temporarily leave Hades. Now, people who hold this view, they like to point out that demons like to inhabit human bodies, that demons seem to have an affinity for mortal things like graveyards and tombs and sepulchers. The second view is that demons were fallen angels. 2 Peter 2 and verse 4 says, For if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell, this is the word for torment, for Tartarus, and he delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Matthew 25, 41 speaks about hell being prepared for the devil and his angels. Presumably, this is the same group of people. James chapter 2 and verse 9 says, the devils believe and tremble. The New King James says the demons believe and tremble. And so the view is that these wicked angels, along with Satan, they rebelled in heaven. They were cast out of heaven into torment for punishment, but they were temporarily allowed to leave torment and to possess human beings. 
My personal belief is that the second one is the right view. It seems to me to have more credibility than the other. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 24, Jesus cast out a demon, and the Jews accused him of casting out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And Jesus responded and he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. That is to say, Satan wouldn't be casting out his own because that doesn't make sense. And so the link is the devil and his angels. The idea that Satan is the ruler of the demons. It seems to be the same, that the demons are equated to these angels that belong to the devil. The fact is, though, the, the Bible really doesn't tell us it's one of those things that God just didn't deem important for us to know. All right, here's the second thing the Bible tells us, and that is that demons are real. They're not imaginary. What we have here in Luke chapter 8 that I read a moment ago is a conversation taking place between Jesus and these demons that identify themselves as legion. And so what you find here is a man, a physical, literal man, who was possessed by demons. Now, you learn that in other places as well. Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, when Jesus sent his apostles out on the limited commission, he told them, I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and I want you to free those people who have demon possessions. Jesus described the demons as being real. Now, the reason I'm making this point is sometimes people will say, well, you know, those references to demons, that's just accommodative language. They'll say that what this was is people back then, they really didn't understand medicine very well, and so they would look at certain medical conditions they didn't understand, and they would just chalk it up to what they would call a demon. Sometimes even commentators, they will say, well, this wasn't a demon, it was epilepsy. And people who have epilepsy, they have seizures, and the people of that time didn't know how to interpret it or how to define it, and so they just said, well, it must be a demon possession, but really it was epilepsy. I know that's not true, because in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 24, in the description of the miracles of Jesus, the Bible says that he cast out demons, he healed people, the American Standard says he cast out demons, and he healed people who had leprosy. Isn't that interesting? He divides those two. He separates those two things. God makes a clear distinction between casting out demons and people who had leprosy. I've got the idea that God knew that people would raise this objection, and for that reason, he wrote it this way. All right, here's the third thing the Bible tells us. Demons are superhumanly strong. Now, what I mean by that is they possessed, these demons would possess a man, and they would give him supernatural strength. They would make him vicious and fierce. We read about this in several places in the Bible, but we read that they would cause a man to be able to just break a chain with his bare hands. The Bible says that he would be possessed, and sometimes they would cut themselves, and they would tear themselves. I want you to think about this. What would that do to a man's flesh if he was superhumanly strong, can you imagine what it would do to your flesh if you could just break chains? You know, it reminds me sometimes on these, uh, these guys on TV, the World's Strongest Man competition, and you'll see a man and he will pull a train with his teeth or he'll run with a refrigerator on his back. You ever seen that sort of thing? 
And sometimes what will happen is these guys will tear muscles and they will break bones or their tendons will pop. These guys have been prepping themselves, but the human body can only handle so much, even for the world's strongest man. Now, you take a guy, a regular man, who hasn't been prepping in any way, and a demon would possess him, and then he starts doing things like tearing chains, it's going to take a toll on that man's physical body. Here's the next thing. Demons seem to prefer cemeteries and tombs and sepulchers. I think this gives us a sense of what kind of beings these are. You know, you're not talking about a person who goes to a cemetery to, to mourn the death of a loved one or to remember the past. This is talking about taking pleasure in decaying things and dead things. You know, it, it's my opinion that goth dress, people that dress in a gothic way, if you look at the history and study this, it has with it a celebration of death. If you do a historical study and, and the way the music industry has played this, it comes down to a celebration of death. Now, I'm not saying that people who dress in a golf way are demons. I'm just saying that they bear something in common with the demons, and that is demons like to be around tombs and, and graveyards, and they like the celebration of death. Here's number five. Demons knew that they were under the sentence for punishment. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 28, you have this demon saying to Jesus, I beg you, do not torment me. On another occasion, in Matthew 8 and verse 28, the demon says, do not torment us, listen, before the time. I don't know what time he's talking about, probably the day of judgment, but I know this, they knew, the demons knew that there was a time that was coming and they were going to be punished. There was a sentence coming, and they were asking Jesus, please don't accelerate that date. I want you to think with me for just a minute. Can you imagine knowing that you were going to be in torment, and there is nothing that you could do about it, and you were going to be there forever, and you were begging that it just be postponed for a few years? To me, that is absolute. In fact, when I was preparing this sermon, I was just thinking about that. That is absolutely terrifying to know that you're going to go to hell and there is nothing you can do to stop it and you're just begging for a little bit extra time. In the scheme of things, what difference is that going to make? And it made me think about people in this world who are lost, who are ultimately destined for torment, but they can do something about it. And many of them will choose not to. The demons couldn't do anything about it, so they're begging, please don't torment us before the time. Number six, oftentimes demons would possess a person, many demons would possess a person at one time. This is really uh, eerie if you think about it. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 30, Jesus meets this man. He's demon-possessed. Jesus asks, what is your name? No doubt Jesus knew, but he's probably asking for our sake. And the answer that he gets back is, we are legion. Now, why is that relevant? Well, number one, demons are real. Jesus asks him, what is your name? And the answer is very interesting because the answer is legion. Do you know what a legion is? The term typically was a military term. It referred to 
a group of soldiers, somewhere between four and 6,000 soldiers. And so here's a man who's possessed with demons. Jesus says, what is your name? And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. What the man was saying is, there are lots of demons in me, maybe thousands of demons possessing this man. In Matthew 12, 44, Jesus is talking to the Jews about their need for repentance, and he gives them this example. He says, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, that is, a demon has left a man, he says that he walketh through the dry places. That's, that's interesting to me. I'm not sure what that's about. But he says, he seeketh rest, the demon does, and he finds none. And then he says, I will return to my house from whence I came. That is, I'm going to go back into that man again. And when he comes, he findeth him empty and swept and garnished. And then he goes and he takes with him seven other spirits, demons who are more wicked than himself, and they enter in and they dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. What he's saying there and the point that he's making is when a man gets evil out of his life, he's got to replace that evil with something good. You repent You've got to restore goodness in yourself. Now, that's the side lesson for now. The point that I want to get is there were multiple spirits, thousands of spirits sometimes that would occupy a person. But you take a man like this who is possessed with all of these demons, he was dangerous. He didn't, uh, his loved ones, his family didn't want to be around him because he could be a threat to him. And so this man is following the bidding of the demons. He would go where the demons told him to go. He would live where the demons told him to live. Did this man bear some consciousness and some control? I don't know. What I know is he did what they made him do. They controlled him. And so in Matthew chapter 17, you might remember that you've got the Mount of Transfiguration. And you've got Jesus and Peter, James, and John, and they're up on the mountain. And of course, they're meeting Moses and Elijah but you might remember that at the foot of the mountain, the apostles were there waiting on Jesus and Peter, James, and John. And a man comes to these apostles, and apparently they, this man has a son, and the son has a demon possession. Well, apparently this man thinks that his son has some sort of a physical ailment. The King James says that his son was a lunatic. The New King James says that his son had epilepsy. The translators were struggling to translate the word that is in the original. The original word in Greek carries with it the idea of someone being moonstruck. When Jesus came down from the mountain, the apostles had been trying to heal this man, but they weren't able to do it. When Jesus came down, Jesus said, this man has a demon. But what is very interesting is... This man, we're told, oftentimes this man's son who had the demon, he would fall into the fire. He would fall into the water. I don't know what that's about. Is the demon throwing him into the fire? Is the demon throwing him into the water? Was the man throwing himself into the fire, trying to get the demon to leave him? I don't know. It seems like this demon is tormenting this guy. But this man in Luke chapter 8 who is possessed with the demons, the Bible says he has thousands of demons in him. Here's number seven. When a man was freed from demon possession, the Bible says he would be in his right mind again. 
And so in Luke chapter 8, Jesus cast out these demons into the herd of swine, and the man puts his clothes back on. It's very interesting. It's indicative of the fact that he's gotten his sanity back, and he is interested now in following Jesus. Now, I want to read to you from Mark chapter 1 and verse 21. The Bible says, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered into the synagogue, and he talked. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, there was a man in their synagogue who had an unclean spirit, that is a demon, and he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out. And then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. That's important. Let me read that again. They're amazed, and they said, what is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Keep that in your mind. Here's number eight. The demons have intelligence. You've got communication here and in other places. I mean, they talk to Jesus. They have intelligence. They quiz Jesus. They make petitions of Jesus. We've got two accounts listed here. Matthew chapter 8, verse 29. Also in Acts chapter 19 and verse 13. Here is number 9. The demons had advanced knowledge of who Jesus is. Now, I want you to think about this. When Jesus comes to this earth, he's walking and he's teaching and the people don't understand. Even his apostles don't completely understand what's going on, but it is no secret in the spirit world who Jesus is. Now, when Jesus was on this earth, the information that uh, Jesus of Nazareth was the anointed of God, he was revealing it a little bit at a time. It was coming out gradually, but sometimes Jesus would say, don't reveal this yet. It's not time yet. Jesus was revealing this and unfolding this step by step. But you see, the demons knew. And so Jesus rebuked the spirit because the spirit knew exactly who he was. That's interesting to think about. Here's number nine. The demons, the spirit world knew that Jesus was stronger than they were. Now, brethren, this is very important. Why didn't the spirit just curse Jesus and stay in the man? When Jesus said, come out, why didn't the spirit say, no, I'm, I'm not going to come out. Human beings weren't able to cast out this demon. You know, in James chapter 2 and verse 19, the Bible says, you believe there's one God and you do well, but the demons also believe and tremble. You see, there's never a question about this. You know, sometimes men are so foolish that we will challenge God, but the spirits, they know better. They know who has the power and the strength. And so in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, the disciples come to Jesus, 
and they are so enthused. They have miraculous abilities, and they say to the Lord, they say, this is wonderful. Jesus, look what we can do. They said, even the demons are subject to us through your name. Through the name and the power of Jesus, even the demons obeyed the apostles. In Acts chapter 17, there is kind of an amusing account. There are these that the, the King James refers to as vagabond Jews. And this group of vagabond Jews, they think that they're going to cast out some demons. They've seen the apostles do this. They've seen the apostle Paul do this. And they say, we're going to do this. And so they go to this man who has some demons in him. And they say to this man, we adjure you. They're speaking to the demons. We adjure you by Paul and by Jesus whom Paul preaches Come out of this man. And the demon responds to them and says, We know Paul and we know Jesus, but we don't know you. And the demon comes out and just leaps on these vagabond Jews and tears them up. And the Bible says that they leave the house naked and beaten. They just whooped them and they tore their clothes off and, and they ran out. The point that I'm making is this. There has never been a question that Jesus has immeasurably more power than the demons. The demons made human beings superhuman. They gave them strength, but when compared to the Lord, they were nothing. That's ten things the Bible tells us about demons. But you say, why is that there? Why are we having a sermon on this very peculiar topic? You see, what we've covered so far doesn't really answer the question that we want to know. Number one, the question is, what was the purpose of demons? Why were demons permitted to do this? And then number two, we certainly want to know, can they do this today? That's important. The answer to the second question is, no, demons cannot do this today. They are not doing this today. Now, I know that Movies come out like The Conjuring, and they're supposedly based on a true story. I know that this couple, the Warrens, claim to be demonologists, and they claim to have had these experiences. When I was a kid, there was a movie that came out called The Exorcist. And a few years ago, they did a remake of The Exorcist. And it had a girl who was supposedly possessed with a demon, and a Catholic priest comes, and he successfully uh, gets the demon out of the girl, and the demon gets, goes into him, and then he goes and uh, leaps out of a window and kills himself. And uh, uh, sorry if you haven't seen it, I've told you the end there. But that's just fanciful imagination. It's just made up. That's just Hollywood. The fact is, what we have seen from the Bible this morning, the characteristics that were true of demons in the first century those things are not happening today. Furthermore, when you go to the Bible, this is a very interesting fact. In the Old Testament, you don't find demon possession. You ever thought about that? Doesn't that strike you interesting? Where do you find demon possession? You find demon possession in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've got a few occurrences in the book of Acts during the miraculous period. It's mentioned in Acts chapter 5, 8, 19. You find a few occurrences, and then after that, it stops. And so you ask yourself, for what purpose did God allow this, and why for this brief period of time? And the answer is this. Demons were allowed to possess people for a short window of time, 
in order to reassure you and to reassure me for all time that we serve a Savior who is infinitely powerful. You know, if you look through the Bible, miracles were never the norm. You had miracles at the creation account. There were some miracles during Exodus when you've got the plagues. There were some miracles during the days of Elijah and Elisha. There are miracles when Daniel gets over into Babylon, and there's an intensity of miracles during the days of Jesus and the apostles, and it's during that time that you have demon possessions occurring. Why then? Why then? It was as a demonstration that Christ was the Son of God and to show that He had power over the spirit realm. And very interestingly, the period of the miraculous, when miracles started to fade away, so did the demon possession. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 17, Jesus told His disciples that they were going to have signs, they could take up serpents, they would be able to lay hands on the sick, and they would get well, and they would be able to cast out demons. And then verse 20 says this, And they went out, and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word through accompanying signs. Why did they have the ability to cast out demons? It was a sign to show that God is with them, and their message was from heaven. Today, we don't have to worry about demons possessing human beings because God doesn't allow that to happen. Now, don't get me wrong, because Satan is still at work, and Satan's angels are still at work. Listen to this, Ephesians 6 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That is, the devil's not working in a flesh and blood sense today, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the evil one and having done all to stand. What does that mean? Today the devil is still working, but like a roaring lion in the spiritual realm. He's tempting us. He's working through human beings. He's tempting us through the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. But the devil is no longer possessing human beings through his demons. Why is that? Because God has power over all things including the spirit realm and including the devil. Thank you for your good attention today. I appreciate it so much. It may be that you're here today and you need to obey the gospel. You need to know the Bible teaches to do this, to become a child of God, to have your sins forgiven so that you can look forward to a home in heaven eternally. You need to hear the gospel, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus Christ, and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Maybe this morning you want to do that. If that's the case, we would be delighted to help you. Maybe today you're a Christian who needs the prayers of your brethren. Maybe you need to publicly confess public sin, and we would be honored to go to God and pray on your behalf. This morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, won't you come as together we stand and sing the invitation song.